there often is time to pause for that much reflection. And even a few seconds can be extremely helpful in comparison to no pausing. All right. Well, welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers podcast. It's been a little while since I have been on the podcast. This is Michael Kahn, and I am a former lawyer or recovering lawyer, if you would like, and currently a licensed professional counselor, mental health therapist. And we have a very interesting guest. I guess you'll be the judge of that, but I think he's very interesting. Robert Plotkin is with us today, and he's going to talk about mindfulness and technology, which I tell you, it's right up my alley. So how can we use mindfulness as a tool with all the different devices that we have? And none of you know this, but it it was a bit of a stressful experience getting this podcast started with trouble with my computer and then the microphone and then the headphone and all that stuff. So I joked with Robert that I could use some mindfulness exercises right now to help me calm down. So Robert, welcome. Thank you for giving me and the listeners your time today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. You know, as you said, maybe I'll just start by saying that recently I recorded some meditations on Insight Timer, which is a free meditation app. And I posted a bunch of them there. And this one was about dealing with frustrations with technology. Oh, is this like a, the most recent one you've put up there? Or? I think it is the most recent one, and it ends with some mantras that you can repeat to yourself. And one of them was essentially, I expect technology to fail. Oh, that is a good one. That sets you up for, all right, if you expect it to fail, then you're not attached to everything working smoothly all the time. And what I do and what probably a lot of people do is, is assume a technology is going to work, that that's not even a consideration. I have all this stuff to do to meet a deadline and don't even consider that the printer's not going to work or the computer is going to crash or you name it, right? That's right. And I think you know, you know from the counseling field that what's the formula for resentment is having expectations that are frustrated. And so it's understandable that all of us, including lawyers, have an expectation that technology will work all the time, that it'll improve our lives significantly, that it will be perfect, because that's the marketing message that's sold to us and that's been sold to us. It's a big part of our culture. We're a very tech, almost worshiping culture, and we look to technology to solve all of our problems. And look, I've been a patent lawyer for over 25 years, so I'm not a Luddite. I'm not anti-technology. I think technology can and does do a lot of great things for us. But when we have unrealistic expectations like that technology will always work and then it doesn't, it can be not only frustrating and stressful and anxiety producing. As lawyers, you know, our time is our most valuable asset. It can cause us to lose a lot of time trying to fix things, but also to not succeed at planning well. For our time. Because if you make the assumption that in an eight or 10 hour day, the technology is always going to be up and completely running, then when it doesn't for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, you've now lost a lot of time that you plan to have. 
There's also, I remember listening to a therapist about depression. One theory he had was that technology, when we have this expectation that things are going to work quickly and seamlessly, kind of like what you said before, and then when it doesn't, when things work slowly or, or they don't work when they're supposed to, that that really can lead to uh, depression for some folks if it's something that's ongoing and then that's a pattern. So it can lead to definitely, I think we can agree to some mental health concerns, whether it be stress, whether it be depressed mood, or maybe more minor stuff like frustration. And it can lead to bottom line issues like impacting your time with clients and, and of course, income, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the other mantras I, I included was something like, I expect that technology will at most make my life a little bit easier some of the time. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, and if that's all you get, that's still pretty good. It's just not what we often unconsciously assume will happen. Yeah. Maybe I should try that with my partner. I should tell her, I will make your life easier at least sometimes. And a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> hey, Robert, why don't we take a break here and just, I know you said you're a patent lawyer, but why don't you share a little bit more about who you are, your resume, I, guess, I suppose, but anything else you want to share about yourself for the listeners? Yeah. You know, I have a bunch of different threads in my life, which have all come together that relate to technology and mindfulness and productivity and, and being a lawyer. So I have been a practicing patent lawyer in private practice for over 25 years now in a couple of large firms, then as a solo practitioner, and then in recent years in a small firm that I co-founded. So I've been serving clients in direct service for all that time. I know what it's like to, to be a lawyer with clients and to be a business owner and running a business. And I've seen even in that time how much technology has become a part of the daily practice of lawyers. You know, when I started practicing in 96, law firms were just starting to get email, just to remind people of how much things have changed. Many firms weren't even using the web yet, still very low tech at that time. And, and now, of course, we have 24-7 mobile devices, everything. Client demands have increased significantly, and then there are all the resulting stress. Before that, though, I've been a computer person, tech geek, since I was a kid, you know, started programming back when I was about 10 years old as a hobby and always loved doing that, always loved using computers, programming computers, ended up going to MIT, studied computer science and went to law school straight from there. And I'll just say briefly that part of what led to my interest in and technology and, and mindfulness and dealing with things like digital distraction and stress was the fact that when I was using computers back in the 80s and even the early 90s before the web and, and again, mobile devices, I used them as a tool to help me focus. People always perk up when they hear that because it's hard to imagine. But I remember writing, whether it was writing papers for school or writing code for software I was writing. When I sat down on a computer, it helped me to become more focused. And how can that be? And you know, for people who are hearing that saying they can't imagine it, is because computers back then weren't connected to the internet. Exactly. 
You couldn't use or even see more than one piece of software at a time on a computer. If you were writing a paper, you saw a blank screen with a cursor blinking, you started typing. There wasn't even a menu or uh, uh, anything else on the screen to distract. It was much like a blank page. And if you wanted to switch out of that word processor to you know, a spreadsheet, you had to quit out of it, launch the spreadsheet. You couldn't swap back and forth. So many of the features of today's computers that are distraction-inducing or that are create temptations to be distracted or that call on our attention just didn't exist back then. Yeah. When I was in law school, computers didn't, didn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) 1980s, we were still paying people to type our assignments for law school or the briefs that we did. So I'm definitely a dinosaur, but yeah, that's a really good point. It's the distraction. That's the key. It's not the computer itself, but the, the, all the, all the distractions. And, and in this world of zoom, Boy, it, it can be. You really have to to have a lot of self control to not be doing other things when you're in a Zoom meeting because it's all facing facing you right there, or it's in your face. So, Robert, I want to try to as quickly as possible get to solutions and and what you're doing because the exciting thing that I think you're doing is helping lawyers deal with these distractions and help them better manage and be more intentional about their use of these devices. What drew you to what you're doing now or what you've been doing in a while, helping lawyers use mindfulness to better use their devices? And also something else I read about you is something called taming your email inbox. So it's helping lawyers reduce their stress, still use these devices, but do it in a more intentional way. That's right. Yeah, both to reduce stress and increase productivity. So I'll tell you that I've had some background in mindfulness. Well, what drew me to this was my own struggles, really, with digital distraction and stress around it. As computers became more connected to the internet and as clients started communicating by email and cell phone and text and creating more and more demands, and as I found I was being distracted you know, by the web or social media, which I'm not really on that much, I found I needed to work much harder intentionally to stay focused at working. So I had my own struggles with it. And I ended up drawing on, you know, I've my, my main background for many years in mindfulness came from practicing martial arts. And I'll talk in a minute about how that relates to this. And I'll, I'll lead you and, and the listeners through an exercise that you can practice. So I drew on that martial arts training. A big part of that is learning to be focused and disciplined mentally as well as physically. And then now about six years ago, I did start practicing mindfulness meditation in a more serious and and regular way. And I started doing some things, basically practicing some exercises for using smartphones and other technology more mindfully and intentionally. And I did those for myself and started teaching them to others. And I can actually lead you and the listeners through one of those right now. Sure. So I'll just lead you through it and I'll explain a little bit what's behind it, but you'll get the gist more of it by doing it than by hearing about it. So pick up your phone and wake it up. And now without tapping on anything, I just want you to think of what is the app on your phone that most sucks you in. <laughs> you know, that most attracts you to, that you find yourself just using mindlessly 
or just automatically. I'll tell you that for me, it's usually text messages or email still. What is it for you? For me, I would say it's either podcasts or the news. And for anyone listening, so a lot of people say Instagram, it might be Facebook still or some other social media. The key part is to know yourself and think, what is it that sucks me in? You know, the thing that I'm using it and then I wake up sometime later and say, how did I, how was I in there for so long? It was like I was in a fog. So find the icon for that app on your phone and now slowly move your finger towards it. And then stop your finger right before you tap on the screen. So your finger is hovering above the icon, but not touching it. You pause there. And I'm just going to do a short version of this exercise. But the exercise is while you're pausing, looking at the icon, to pay attention to what you're experiencing. So for example, pay attention to your breath. Many people find their breath has stopped or that your breath has become shallow, or maybe that there's some uh, tightness in your chest, or maybe heat in your head. What are some emotions you're feeling? It might be irritation, maybe excitement about what you will see or hear if you tap on that icon. These are just suggestions. Uh, the exercise is to look inside yourself and see if you can become aware of whatever it is you are actually feeling in your body, thinking what thoughts are arising, what emotions you might be having while you're sitting there paused. And you can do this for a minute. You could do it for 10 minutes. And then, with, again, without tapping, pull your finger away from the screen and then put the phone down and preferably put it to sleep. And then do you, at that point as well, then check in on what you're feeling, thinking, sensing? Yes, you can always do that at that point as, as well. You can do it before, you can do it during, you can do it after. I don't know if you want to share anything, because I'll tell you, even now, having done this many times and teaching it, the tightness in my chest is something I often feel with the anticipation of tapping on something that's attractive to me. Yeah, it's interesting, Robert. So I did the exercise, and this, may not, this might be unlike other reactions that folks have shared with you. But I actually, in holding my finger above it and not hitting the news icon on my phone, I eventually felt more a sense of relaxation. It may sound bizarre. I don't know if anybody's ever shared that with you. But it felt, not right away, but it eventually it felt good to not click on that icon. I, I don't know why, to be honest. I'm, I was going to try to explain it, but yeah. You know, one of the aspects of this, like any kind of mindfulness meditation or em other embodied type of practice is that, you know, the, the reasons or thoughts about it may not be as important as just going through the experience and having the direct experience of it. And your experience is an interesting one and actually a common one. And it is educational in that at first you may have felt some stress or anticipation and then it faded. What that often teaches people is that the urge to act on the initial desire to tap can pass. But if you don't pause, you may only ever act on that initial urge because you don't give yourself enough time 
to pause and either reflect or just let your feelings run their course. Yeah, because one of the things that I always used to do was I'd wake up in the morning, and of course, the phone was right next to me because it has my alarm. I'd open the news feed. And that's not the way I really wanted to start my day. I mean, I guess it is. Part, part of me wanted to start my day that way, but part of me knew it was often upsetting. So I've, I've actually started to not do that, to start to get into a habit of, you know, maybe what I'll do now is check ESPN, look at the scores. And that might upset me too, based on how my team's playing, but it's not at the level of the news. Or sometimes I'll just not look at anything other than what the weather's going to be and do a mindfulness exercise. And, and actually, I worked with a client, a lawyer client, who was telling me that he was dealing with some frustrations and depression and anger. And one of the things he said he did in the morning was read the newspaper every morning and get upset at the news. So it wasn't rocket science where I recommended that he maybe reconsider that. Now, that was a newspaper. That wasn't a device. But he stopped doing it, and he felt better. So I love what you're talking about regarding pause, because I think pause is critical in our during our workday to check in with ourselves, to check in with how we are feeling. And then once we check in, then be intentional with our next choice. And so I think the pause is critical in general, but particularly in what you're talking about with our devices. Yeah, and it's true for lawyers. It's true for for many people who are in busy, stressful situations where there are a lot of demands being placed on us that it can feel like we need to be constantly in motion and that there's no time to pause. And that's something that contributes to the not pausing. And I understand that feeling and that experience, and I live it as well. And the pausing can take as little as a few seconds. There often is time to pause for that much reflection. And even a few seconds can be extremely helpful in comparison to no pausing at all. If you can pause and need to pause for 30 seconds or a minute, maybe that's better. But I like to tell people, don't let the perfect be the enemy don't, uh, of the good. You know, you, you can get some benefit from a short pause. I want to go back to what you said about waking up in the morning, because it, it does touch on a general approach that people could benefit from, which is one way you can deal with distractions, like having the phone attract you when you get it from bed is to not have the phone in the bedroom, right? Not have the device near you. And in, then there's times when you can't not have the device around you. And in those situations, you can use habits and skills like practicing these exercises. It does, it reminds me, I mentioned martial arts. You know, one of my teachers many years ago would say, if you're dealing with a, an attacker, it's better to block than to get hit. I mean, that makes sense. Someone's throwing a punch at you, better to block that punch than to get hit in the face. Better to move out of the way than to block and better to not be there in the first place than to move out of the way. And, you know, I say the same thing with technology. If you can, sometimes the best choice is to just not have the devices near you because then you don't even have to engage in the effort. And, you know, it takes mental effort to resist 
the urge or to pause and think. And sometimes that's necessary. But, you know, I think if we're doing that during all of your waking hours, because you always are keeping your devices on and near you, that alone can be very draining. And I find it helpful to just have times of day and places where I just don't have the devices there to tempt me. And one of the places is the bedroom. That's a very sensitive topic, you know, and I say, if you need to have it in the bedroom, at least set a time a half an hour before bed where you're going to move the phone out of the bed. Or if you can't do that, at least right before you go to sleep, get the phone out of there. And my excuse that I use the phone for alarm is the poor one because I could just buy an alarm. Back in the day before smartphones, that's what we did. I remember when I was working with a client who was trying to stop smoking, one of the interventions we did based on what he and I thought would be most helpful was have him put the cigarettes in his glove compartment in his car. In the winter where he lived, which was really cold, it would make it just a little bit harder to to get a cigarette. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.